Welcome to the Notion Club Podcast. I'm Ian Duncan, and joining me is Justin Hall. Today we'll be talking about technology, particularly the ways in which we have accepted, without question, technology's intrusion and even control of our life. We'll be talking about the importance of examining our unexamined beliefs about technology, lest we fall into what Orwell called groupthink, or lest we simply follow the course of least resistance, the inevitable march of what can be done rather than what ought to be done. This is Episode 7 of the Notion Club Podcast. We're talking today about technology, in particular the problems that technology presents to the human race. And I find this to be a particularly pertinent topic now that we've been dealing in the last months with sort of the sudden rise of censorship or perhaps the realization that many are having that they are being censored through the media that they once enjoyed using and they're now finding themselves either shut out of it or they're realizing that media is not, this is particularly social media, is not this benign thing. It's not this product that they control anymore. It's it's almost like we're stuck in a in one of the Terminator movies, and, and Facebook has become self-aware and now is out to get us. You know, every worldview has to have a theory of, of what's wrong with the world and also a proposition of some kind for what ought to be done about it, essentially ethics. You know, what's wrong and how can we fix it? What I'm hoping we get out of this conversation is just to provoke thought in terms of unexamined beliefs about technology. There's so much that we're constantly fed, almost at, at the level of these, these maxims or aphorisms that we just get used to hearing that technology is, is great, technology is good. Any advancement in technology is always good. You know, mm-hmm. 2.0 is so much better than 1.0. If we're honest, a lot of people are going to admit that they just find themselves swallowing these ideas without really thinking about it. Of course it's better to have a faster computer and a smartphone with more and better memory and all these things. You know, I recently came across the receipt among my father's things in his in his basement where he bought his first personal computer, like an IBM personal system two back in nineteen eighty six that had one megabyte of memory, mm-hmm. internal memory. And now, you know, we're carrying around these incredible devices in our pockets that make that look like, you know, a bow drill in, by comparison. <laughs> and who wouldn't say, and it's, it's almost just become unquestionable, of course this is better. And, you know, I, I would be remiss not to mention that I'm, I'm someone who, I would be a widower uh, without technology. You know, technology, medical technology is the only reason I have three living children and a wife. Mm-hmm. You know, I, So, of course, there are amazing benefits to technology, but we need to examine our unexamined beliefs and and lest we fall into what Orwell would call groupthink and simply go along with the herd and never, never think, is this really, is this always a good thing? Yeah, well, that's the fallacy of the software update. Mm-hmm. You know, right. Like you're, you put your phone on automatic update because... Mm-hmm. You make the implicit assumption without even 
questioning that the next update is going to be an improvement and it's right. going to be progress. It fixes various bugs. Just download <laughs> it. Don't don't ask why. Don't ask why. But I mean, beyond our phones, we live our entire lives on a constant software update mm -hmm. within that fallacy. Because mm -hmm. you know, every update we go along with automatically without. I mean, part of the problem is the fact that we don't even question whether it's a problem or not. Mm -hmm. It's just a complacency and. Right. We've all been indoctrinated by the myth of progress. Right. And that's really where this is going. And, and it's it's fascinating to see in, in people's reactions to questioning technology now is almost, you know, for a while there was sort of a fad to delete your Facebook account and out of, you know, outrage, you delete <laughs> it, which of course doesn't really mean anything anymore uh, because none of that information actually goes away. It's just sort of a personal statement that makes you feel good mm -hmm. that you're sticking it to the man who... <laughs> to the Zuck. Right. But the idea that creeps in is that we're on this path, this evolution, this upward ascent, and technology is the thing that's that's driving human progress upward and onward, and the sky's the limit, and every new technology that comes out is advancing the cause of human progress, and soon we'll have a cure for cancer, and soon we'll, we'll beat coronavirus, and soon we'll, maybe we'll, you know, overcome death itself. I mean, that's where you get in the fringe, mm -hmm. like, cyrogenics, and people are freezing themselves to be thawed out later in the future, you know, but that, do you think that eventually, someday, science will find a way to keep us all alive? forever and that probably most people would say yeah mm -hmm. even know, if it's only downloading our consciousness right into a just like this brain yeah. <laughs> floating in a vat of something yeah but we have this unquestioned faith in in what neil postman calls scientism mm -hmm. uh, in his book technopoly which is a really fascinating look at at what happens in societies when technology becomes basically takes charge what was once the means of accomplishing something good becomes the end that we serve mm -hmm. and we start serving rather than using technology a fascinating book by the way written right right before the internet really took the world by storm in the in the early 90s it's really fascinating to read his work and 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 know what's coming mm -hmm. the things that he can't possibly anticipate and how the changes are just going to be so sweeping as to be mind mind blowing well in order for technology to be truly useful it has to be governed by a principle of what ought to be and right. what ought to be in terms of a vision of humanity mm -hmm. yeah what are the ethics that are guiding this thing what mm -hmm. are are, are we just on this inevitable course where what can be done shall be done and no mm. one's ever saying, no, maybe we shouldn't do that? Well, it's it's unthinkable that mm -hmm. we would develop a technology and then not use it or destroy it because right. because it's, it's not what ought to be done. Mm -hmm. uh, it, that will never happen. Right. We are literally on that course of least resistance and no one no one can say no. I mean, it's kind of like a perverted version of Murphy's Law that whatever mm -hmm. can happen will happen. Right. Jacques Ellul mentions that in his book, Presence of the Kingdom, just that there is no ethic. There is no ought we. There's only can we, then then it will be done. Mm -hmm. You know, And we see that kind of thing constantly with genetics. And there's this constant outcry like, hey, hold, put on the brakes for a minute here and let's talk about... Should the, and then you know you have this pushback from forward thinking or or progressive thinking or people that are sort of worshiping science as an end in and of itself. No, no, 
if it can be done, we're going to do it mm-hmm. without even considering who, who are the winners and losers going to be with this new technology. You know, we saw that even with, you know, Gutenberg was a Catholic, which is a great, it's, it's the most, he had no idea. If he had known how Martin Luther, how that technology was going to be used, mm-hmm. maybe he would have trashed the printing press before mm-hmm. he released it so there's there's always these unforeseen ramifications no one knows what's going to happen mm-hmm. what are computers going to be used for you know in neil postman's book you know 92 he was kind of looking at computers saying you know this is awesome and we're able to do you know we're able to calculate so much faster but you know computers up until that point had not really revolutionized all of life right you know, we were just, it was a great thing. We were able to calculate faster, and there were a lot of processes that were easier, but it hadn't really changed communications, for mm-hmm. instance. It hadn't changed social life. But in the coming years, once computer technology was paired with social media and the internet, mm-hmm. you had this trifecta of technology that did, I think you could make the argument, it did do all those things it did revolutionize communication now it's revolutionized the way people get their news it's revolutionized the way you know people have relationships mm-hmm. and if you think that's entirely positive then you've got to you've got to read a book like the coddling of the american mind <laughs> it talks about the impact that social media has had on suicide rates and particularly in teenage girls and that mm-hmm. sort of thing like it's it's an, an insane insanely negative impact right one of the great ironies of this very question is that because of technology nobody has the contemplative space in order to actually think through it mm-hmm. i know i know people who never get a moment alone and maybe have never really had a a significant moment alone in their lives you no, know no. they've mm-hmm. they've never had hours by themselves right. to uh, to think to, to think for themselves and to think through deep questions in their lives mm-hmm. I mean I for for me I will go on three-hour hikes and leave my phone at home yeah you know, because I, I need that space to think absolutely and it's it's weird how I mean often in that time my mind it's almost like I'm dreaming while I'm awake because mm-hmm. my mind is suddenly processing everything that yeah. that has been just clogged up in my mind with the constant influx of information. Right. Too often we, we're guilty of looking at an, a, an activity or a technology or anything that, that we consume or use or spend our time with. Well, it's not morally wrong. You know, it's not morally wrong to play video games or watch this movie or mm-hmm. read this book. But we very, very seldom ask, but what is it taking the place of? Right. Or the negative, what is the negative space? You know, what might I have done with mm-hmm. my life if I hadn't watched or consumed some sort of media for seven, eight, nine hours a day? Right. Well, I, not to get suddenly theological, but often the way Christians lead their lives in terms of ethics is mm-hmm. simply to, is first to ask, well, is it sin? Right. And if it's not sin, then yeah. go ahead and do it. Yeah, it's you know, funny. Without, without a question of what is better, not just mm-hmm. what is okay, but what is what is best. I was actually thinking that before I said that, that we evangelicals are particularly guilty of this. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you know, it's not morally wrong for me to eat this cotton candy, but is it taking the place of something far more nourishing and better for you? Mm -hmm. And what, you know, you have really have to get a lot more basic than 
just what is permitted, what right. is profitable. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. sort of what Paul was talking about in that all things are permissible, but mm-hmm. it, you know. Or throwing off every encumbrance, uh-huh. you know, even good things that are right. encumbrances. Right. And, it, and related to our subject matter, it's just sort of trying to see the, the air that you're breathing without question. Mm-hmm. That this is the era you live in. That doesn't, it hasn't always been this way. Yeah. And it isn't necessarily better. You know, we have to do away with the sort of, I think C.S. Lewis talked about this, like just because someone lived a long time ago or wrote a long time ago doesn't mean they were more primitive in their thinking chronological snobbery Exa- that's right that's what it was <laughs> yeah that's a huge a huge mistake but it fits in perfectly with this worldview this scientism worldview that everything is progress you know if if that is a hundred years ago then it's sort of like a hundred years worse than now mm-hmm. you know it's it's this moral advance it's inevitable and it's unstoppable and technology is the the like the air current that we're all just gliding on. Right. Well, okay, so that's very interesting because at the same time, if we're going to talk about chronological snobbery, then we we need to also acknowledge the improvements that are good Mm -hmm. because there there has been genuine progress. I heard recently, it's kind of a generic statement, but I, I would, I think it's quite true that the average middle-class person of today is far wealthier than mm-hmm. a billionaire in the 1920s. Right. Just in terms of the quality of life, mm-hmm. you know. That's one of those things that's hard to quantify though, right? right. Like we tend to accept, well, obviously if you have more money, look at the numbers in your bank account. Mm-hmm. You're obviously better off, right? It, but are you really having a better life? I mean, that's a huge step. And and that does not take into account virtue as, uh-huh. I mean, that, that assumes a definition of the good life that is purely materialistic. Right. And it doesn't take into account the fact that there was a lot of virtue cultivated through the Great Depression simply as as a product of deprivation. Suffering. Yeah. And suffering. Right. You know. But see, that's motivated by an ethic that assumes a higher reality than comfort. Right. What is the standard of measurement? Yeah, it, just because I live to be a hundred and I'm a millionaire doesn't mean that I lived a better life than someone who died in their 20s mm-hmm. but lived a you know a truly good life right by a truly higher standard ironically if it wasn't for and i meant risk of making too much of a blanket statement but i think it could be argued that if it wasn't for the deprivation of the great depression the generation who stormed normandy wouldn't have had the tenacity and and strength mm-hmm. to do that right. uh, they were hardened by the past decade Mm-hmm. Yeah, and w- the underlying philosophy is that our lives ought to be getting better. Mm-hmm. There shouldn't be as much suffering as there was in the past. We shouldn't be called upon to sacrifice because technology is making all these things better. Mm-hmm. We see this even in military strategy. Like We're looking for more ways to put guns in the hands of robots instead right. of yeah. real soldiers. Like, well, let's just bomb from the air instead of putting boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. Let's, the wars of the future should not be fought in the same way because now we're up sort of above suffering. We should live longer. We shouldn't suffer. You know, li- And it's so ironic that a lot of the hard work ethic that went into building this country and making the lives of, of coming generations better and more profitable, and we, we're working so hard to create new technologies that created leisure time, it just reminds me of Solomon and Ecclesiastes. You know, you're doing, you're working so hard to leave this legacy of some sort for your 
the people that come after you and lo and behold, they just don't deserve it. <laughs> they didn't work to get it. They don't appreciate it. They squander it, mm-hmm. you know, that. And so the real question of all this that comes down to what is wrong with us? Right. Because, you know, technology itself, you know, this, this smartphone in my pocket is not inherently evil. Mm-hmm. And yet what is wrong with the human race that we can't judge what is right that we can't invent some new technology without, you know, we can't invent the internet without pornography becoming the biggest business on mm. it. Yep. We can't create, you know, we can't create anything that doesn't wind up getting perverted. Yep. So that that doesn't point to technology, that points to us. Well, the irony is that the inherent assumption of technology is to fix the problems and the mm-hmm. insufficiencies of the human race, mm-hmm. but without without ever defining it and ultimately to to nullify that assumption by assuming that the human race is on the ascendancy is and, and is inherently good mm-hmm. that because this progress is motivated toward a humanistic vision that that deifies mankind yeah and i think you're that's what you're hinting at is the underlying philosophy of of technology the sort of the sponsor of this scientism is really secular humanism mm-hmm. That is the philosophy behind it. That is the worldview. It's really, a, it's just a religion yep. of human progress and technology is the way we're going to do that. Like in your Babel essay, mm-hmm. Babel is a perfect example of this pursuit of quite literally ascendancy, mm-hmm. but technological advancement on the assumption of a humanistic religion. Right. That also just shows the vanity. I mean, they they thought they were technologically advanced because they, they had invented the brick. They're baking bricks. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, in contrast, we think, you know, we, we look on them with such disdain because how naive were they? And look right. at the technological advances that we have. But we haven't addressed any of the enduring problems of the yeah. human race and we still face the fundamental tragedies Chang- we haven't really changed the terms of human existence right we yeah. live we suffer we die yeah that hasn't changed at all like so much technology is is a deception an illusion of having such a better life mm-hmm. and you could look back to some agrarian lifestyles and i was reading the book uh, tribe by sebastian younger and he was mm-hmm. talking about how if you compared primitive tribes in america with you know native american uh, tribes with Western culture, there were always people that were fleeing Western culture and, and running off to join the Indians, mm-hmm. as racist as that sounds now. <laughs> but there were never, almost never, Indians that wanted to abandon their tribes and join Western culture. Mm-hmm. There were so many drawbacks to Western culture, um, especially after the Industrial Revolution, you know, we, we just seem to excel at creating ways of inflicting human suffering on people. The invention of the light bulb led to incredible amounts of suffering. It, at, the, at dark was not time to go home and sleep anymore. It was time to have your industrial shifts all night long. Work, right. work, 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 work. Yep. You know, more bricks, less straw. Like, why do we do this? What's wrong with us? And in biblical terms what you see through this scientism and and worship of technology is this attempt to reverse the curse or to undo the biblical curse. You know, we were, the ground was cursed and we had to work and toil even harder by the sweat of your face Mm -hmm. to make a living. You know, that was what changed after the fall. This was no longer just, the, the earth didn't yield its fruit easily anymore. And so much of what we're doing now is, is attempting on our own 
we're going to solve our own problems with technology. We're going to get back to Eden ourselves. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Even death itself, we're going to we're going to reverse that. It really is to see this as a false gospel, a compete not just a competing ideology, but an entire religion with its own its own hope for the future, its own eschatology. This is how it's going to end. This mm-hmm. is how human progress. We're going to we're going to reach the very gates of heaven, and it's going to be a heaven of our own making. Well, I mean, with death, either reverse it or induce it. <laughs> uh-huh. Because, I mean, simultaneously, at the same time, while we are scrambling to put together some, some makeshift vaccine that can mm-hmm. stave off the virus, we are promoting ever more clinical and sanitary ways of killing ourselves mm-hmm. through abortion, through mm-hmm. euthanasia. Right. That's the irony, right? We, we claim to be making life so much better, and yet so much of technology we find is actually killing us. Mm-hmm. That's, it's not as advertised. Right. You know, <laughs> right. What we find in modern life is that we're actually leading miserable lives and being preyed upon by m- multinational corporations and mm-hmm. being milked like cows for our disposable income, and it's not the good life we were promised. Right. One of the most interesting characters in this in the drama that has played out you know we mentioned luddites which actually came from a specific individual named ludd who attacked went berserk and attacked a bunch of spinning machines Mm -hmm. because he saw that automation or mechanization i guess i should say was you know leading to human suffering it was costing jobs it was changing society in negative ways and so everyone who opposes technology is now called a Luddite for that reason. But one of the, the most famous uh, man named Theodore Kaczynski, it's just a fascinating story. I mean, we, we know this guy as the Unabomber, um, Ted Kaczynski, and I'm old enough to remember that. But a lot of people haven't heard of him or have forgotten this. We've sort of forgotten this culturally. He was a brilliant uh, mathematician. He went to Harvard at age 16. He, w- he got his master's and PhD and was the youngest assistant professor to ever teach at Berkeley. Hmm. And then he, he got jaded. He got disillusioned with modern life. He quit his job. He moved to a, a remote cabin near Lincoln, Montana and tried to commune more with nature. He learned a lot of survival skills trying to live close to the land, procure his own food, you know, that sort of thing, which, you know, wasn't really that uncommon out there. But you know, he's trying to live close to nature, and, and yet technology and human progress kept encroaching on him. Like, the land around his cabin kept being developed and destroyed. And one day he hikes out to this remote waterfall, uh, two days hike from his cabin, and finds that it's been destroyed by developers. Mm. And he begins a bombing campaign, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm cutting out a lot of years of history here, but essentially he begins sending these pipe bombs. And he mails pipe bombs from, like, 1978 to 1995, I believe it was. He, he killed three people and, and seriously injured 23 others. But what he really, you know, he addresses the problem and his... What the FBI has called his manifesto, you know, made it sound like the ravings of a lunatic. You can go and read uh, his writing, and he's actually still alive in prison and still issuing updates and revisions for his work that was called Industrial Society and Its Future. 
And uh, it's actually a, a pretty spot-on analysis of the problems that society has has encountered because of technology. Where it mm-hmm. goes wrong is obviously in its application. Like now, mm-hmm. what what do we do about it? Well, obviously, mailing bombs to people <laughs> who own computer stores is not the answer. He didn't change anything. Mm-hmm. He really thought he was going to kick off some sort of social revolution. Right. And so that that sort of brings us to the question of okay, even if we diagnose the problem, all right, we see what's we see that there's something wrong here. What in the world do we do about it? Mm-hmm. You know, so many people I think just feel trapped in their dependence on technology. You know, everything they see, they're outraged by what technology is doing to their lives, or or they're being shut out of technology. But there seems to be no recourse. There seems to be, it's almost too far advanced. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we're stuck in Terminator 2 and Skynet's self-aware and there's now there's nothing you can do but fight the robots. Like, what do we do now? He committed the same sin and was taken in by the same fallacy of human progress, thinking, mm-hmm. I mean, if he can spark a social revolution, that's going to change something mm-hmm. without actually addressing the enduring problem which is part of the human heart and it's been that way for millennia i mean you know i've been thinking about this more recently in the past year because i think i mean especially when you're young you think you're going to change the culture change you know change history right and it's so easy to be mobilized by a revolutionary spirit Mm -hmm. that will somehow grant significance to your life but there's no changing the course of technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it is inevitable. And any answer, I think, has to be local, personal, mm-hmm. in our own communities, doing something that isn't... I mean, if we if we strive to fix the problem on a revolutionary national or global level, we're, we're committing the same fallacy right. in our thinking. Yeah, I think Kaczynski's fault was in, in seeing the technology itself you know, as though if you could if you could simultaneously smash all the computers in the world, you could end this, and mm-hmm. people would people would shake their heads like they'd been hypnotized and start. You know, that's really no different than Rousseau or anyone else who just thought we were victims of our environment and we right. were yeah. we were initially perfect, but the environment got corrupted, and so all we got to do is fix the environment. You know, he, mm-hmm. he didn't get to the heart of the matter: is what what is wrong with us? Why do we keep doing? You know, almost in a Marxian sort of way like why is this dialectic the, the human race you know I think of that scene from the matrix where the automaton or whatever he is is asking neo you know or telling him this story this narrative about the human race like you people are you're like a disease you move into an area and you start to reproduce and you 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 know you ruin everything when you keep doing this again and again and again like that it's that sort of pattern like what is wrong with us that we keep doing this and unless we get to the heart of the matter you know this really is a a battle for hearts and minds and i think we almost have to take the role of dissidents Mm -hmm. in this this technocratic totalitarianism that is coming over our culture we have to be the dissenting voices that that pose these questions and say it doesn't have to be this way, and it isn't necessarily the good life. Mm-hmm. And we need to examine what we're doing because I think you're right. I think it's, I think it's inevitable only if we don't examine our beliefs, we don't examine our our thinking to see if it really measures up to ultimate reality. If we just follow, go with the flow 
um, like lemmings over the edge of the cliff, then yeah, it is inevitable. Mm-hmm. But if people start to think for themselves and start to, to think rationally, historically, and accurately about their place in history and look at technology through that lens, I think they're going to realize the devil's bargain that it, that it truly is. Mm-hmm. Of course, that, that point of choice is always going to come down to choosing the good right. is never a purely yeah. rational you know, process. It's mm-hmm. going to be, you know, as humans, we see that we choose, we choose evil at every one of those junctures mm-hmm. in our history. We choose the bad, the, the evil. So it really is a battle for the hearts of people to, to get them to see goodness. Right. And I think we do that by exemplifying, you know, one of my goals for raising my kids is I, I want them to taste the good things. I can't inoculate, that's the only way I can inoculate them against false ways of living, false ways of thinking, false religions, all these things. Mm-hmm. I, I, gi- I can give them a taste of, of true beauty and goodness, mm-hmm. hopefully such that even if they, they try to abandon it, they'll be haunted by their memory of what was truly good and beautiful, mm-hmm. and that that memory will bring them back, that they will be dissatisfied, like the prodigal son, you know, not satisfied with the pig slop because he remembered the food at his father's table. Right. He knew better, you yeah. know, because he tasted it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if we could, if we can inculcate that in our kids, if we can teach them the value of things that are non-technological, Mm-hmm and analog and and not not live in such a a thoughtless way that we just continue to promote this idea that technology is good here you're three years old have a have a tablet yeah right you know like just you know soak it up because it must be good right that assumes that our natural inclinations are not necessarily good you know i mean yeah. Which is completely contrary to everything our culture tells us, that mm-hmm. if you have a desire, then that desire should be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And the idea that we should ever be self-denying in pursuit of the good and the beautiful mm-hmm. is so against how we have been indoctrinated that it seems unhealthy. I mean, mm-hmm. that, and that's an argument that our culture will, I mean, it's, it's unhealthy to, mm-hmm. to not indulge every one of your desires, you right. know. You why, would you, why would you suppress it? You should be denied nothing. Right. You know? But a true vision of humanity as it is and ought to be requires that even our desires ought to be trained and molded toward mm. to, toward things that are that are transcendent and intangible. You know that that can't be contained in a device or supplied by technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and getting back to your analogy of the greatest generation going into coming out of the depression to go into the the teeth of machine gun fire on Normandy. Mm-hmm. Hopefully one of the things that people are going to realize looking at what's happening now with big tech and with censorship and with look at Amazon's profit increasing by f- I think it was 44% in one year because of the lockdowns like you start to realize that the world is not a benign place. Mm-hmm. The world is at war and we need to remember that we're not at an amusement park here. We're not at, we're not even at a carnival. We're, we're on a battlefield and it's, it's just, there's so much collateral damage that occurs as people just meander into incoming fire because they, they just have no concept they're on, that they're in a war zone. Mm-hmm. They just think that life is, 
is great everything is good and all these companies out there making new new products it's just it's all for your good it's all for it's all great it's all everyone wants your your best it's so benevolent right. and nothing could actually be further from the truth mm-hmm. you know you mentioned going hiking for you know going on a three-hour hike and leaving your phone at home like that mm-hmm. i think those are the types of practices that we need to be aware of how significant even small things like that can be and uh, you know I worry about that and just how much do my kids see me looking at my phone am I normalizing the smartphone as an indispensable object of everyday living right in their eyes you know yeah. and what steps can I take does that mean leaving my phone on, on the charger downstairs or just ways that we can unplug you know people talk about going on some sort of technological fast or whatever whatever needs to be done to sort of break the hold of these these the grip that these things have you know if you can't turn off your phone you know aside from perhaps you know some sort of business that depends on it you know if you can't take a break from social media without having an anxiety attack there's something there's something very wrong right and these things have had a had a grip on us that we just take for granted because everyone's doing it and we're just sort of thoughtlessly going along with it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we really need to look at those things and ask, how is this changing us? So that's one of the reasons I love that book, you know, What the Internet is, The Shallows mm-hmm. um, by Nicholas Carr, you know, what the Internet is doing <laughs> to our brains. <laughs> it's, a, it's a nightmare. <laughs> it is a nightmare. You know, you talk about neuroplasticity, and, and which is a great thing when you start talking about therapy for people that have lost limbs and stuff. But the mm-hmm. the, the dark side of neuroplasticity is that our brains can be sort of wired rewired and programmed right by things like the internet so that our we our minds register our phones as a an organic <laughs> part of our limbs yeah, like ghost pains <laughs> <when> you, <laughs> i i mean i i have had phantom phantom pains yeah. pings of notifications <laughs> they were vibrating in your pocket and the, and the phone's not there yeah well you know i still remember a time in my childhood where technology was I, I mean we had forms of technology we had television but mm-hmm. i mean i never had video game consoles i, right. I played computer games but that, that was something that other people did you know that, yeah. that wasn't that wasn't a part of you know and i don't think i i didn't have a smartphone until 2014 right you know and and it, and it wasn't like we were amish or anything like that yeah it was yeah. just and it's unthinkable now but actually there was a time when it wasn't a part of yeah. normal life this has not always know? been normal right and that's the thing we so quickly forget in in the slipstream of consumption we just forget that there was a past without it and we just mm-hmm. think those people that didn't have phones like they their lives must have been just constant suffering because they didn't have an iphone right you know, which yeah it's funny like we lived just fine without these things, and now we can't. Mm-hmm. What happened? You know, just try to turn that process back. Like, just try to go back to living like someone did in 1990 and see what happens. You know, yeah. uh, it's it's unthinkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's really the benefit that we have to offer the coming generation, and we who are older and remember that this has not always been so. You know, that one of the reasons we revere the aged among us is because they can speak to a time that that might have escaped our present whatever our present cultural bias and and blind spot is mm-hmm. the you know, elderly can remind us of a time when that was not so right and we need to hear that and remember and evaluate well, i mean and that is why you know there's something especially insidious about the fact that we are now using our technology to destroy recollection 
mm-hmm. you know, through censorship, mm-hmm. through unpersoning. Yeah. And memory is becoming a very rare thing. Right. It, memory in the true sense. Yeah, that's what we're seeing is really technology just starting to make decisions for us mm-hmm. about what we will see. And Neil Postman talks about this. Of course, he couldn't he couldn't have foreseen the algorithms that now rule the Internet. You know, he barely he, he was only at the very beginnings of computers being hooked up to networks. And now here we are. You know, he, he talks about the glut even back then, the glut of information mm-hmm. And, and you're going to have to sort through all that somehow. And so, and so now we have algorithms that are deciding for us, technology deciding for us what we're going to see, what mm-hmm. we're not going to see, mm-hmm. steering us towards certain products or away from others. That is AI. That is artificial intelligence making decisions for humans. You know, we're not necessarily going to be out there, you know, exchanging gunfire with robots, but we are starting to see that technology, the tool that we used to hold in our hand is now turning around and deciding what we're going to do and what we're allowed to say and what we're not. Mm -hmm. It seems like we really are realizing Orwell's vision of the future as this sort of online thing that can be changed overnight. You know, certain things can be memory hold and things can be redacted, things can be changed and you wake up and lo and behold, we've we've always been at war with Oceana, like mm. just overnight. And uh, I think if anything, this could be a reminder of the importance of the analog, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. books that cannot be redacted, things mm-hmm. that cannot be canceled. Things that, you know, my bookshelf is never going to, there are never going to be books that disappear overnight and I'm, I'm, no, I'm no longer presented with them because it's decided I shouldn't see those anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas the online world is just, it's, it's the perfect vehicle for totalitarianism. It just is. Mm-hmm. And I think people are starting to wake up and realize that. Not only is it the perfect vehicle, but it's one that we've volunteered for the surveillance state. Yep. And yep. it remains to be seen if we can unvolunteer. Mm-hmm. at this point or if that is in some sense too late but at the very least this should be a call to action to preserve in our own families in our own households in our own the own our own choices that we make to preserve a way of life that is not simply driven by technology yeah i think a very simple way to stave off that kind of i mean really spiritual totalitarianism you know monopolizing of our minds Mm-hmm. whether that is whether it's political or not mm-hmm. it just happens to be the case is to set aside some hours in the day to be in quiet mm-hmm. to be away from technology the constant buzzing and mm-hmm. notifications and distractions yeah. and to <laughs> Give yourself to deep thought and mm-hmm. contemplation. Going to things that are, you know, that require patience and mm-hmm. understanding. And and the the likelihood that, that anybody will actually do this is very slim because I think people dread the quiet and they, they have a dread mm-hmm. that manifests in their stomachs. You know, yeah, we, when, we associate this sort of contemplation with some sort of mental illness. Right. Yeah. I, I remember <laughs> that the co-worker, I love that story. I was sitting like staring staring out the window in my cubicle and one of my coworkers came up to me and said, are you all right? It <laughs> right. looks like you're thinking about yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. And we know when, you know, there's pills for that. Yeah, right. We can, we can get rid of that. I think the greatest recommendations we could give would, would be to set your own course for your, your own thinking and your own thought mm-hmm. and to decide for yourself which books you're going to read, what subjects of, of inquiry you're going to pursue 
I hate the word consumption, but you know, what are you going to consume? What are you going to think about? Mm-hmm. This is something, this is a decision that you ought to be making based on your worldview, not simply on what is currently, like currently trending, mm-hmm. hashtag whatever, mm-hmm. all the lemmings, this is what all the lemmings are talking about. Right. Getting caught in the riptide of zeitgeist and fashion uh-huh. uh, leads to just so much despair mm-hmm. because it's never ending. It doesn't offer anything. It takes mm-hmm. everything from you. I'm constantly returning to T.S. Eliot talks about the still point Mm -hmm. of the turning world. And he says, there the dance is. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where you find the realist reality, not on all of this, all of these phantoms, you know. Mm -hmm. And I mean, for me, returning to things that are enduring, sometimes that means centuries old, not necessarily. But, you know, returning to things that are timeless you know, mm-hmm. things that are good and beautiful. I mean, technology, people have the worst kind of aloneness and mm-hmm. solitude. Right. Because they're profoundly alone. Right. They're not in real, any real kind of dialectic or conversation with anybody else. Right. It doesn't feed the need for a community and fellowship. Yeah. Because atomization. It, it's, it's not, yeah. Atomization yeah. is that sort of aloneness that people don't, they, they have the illusion of, you know, it's like your Facebook friends aren't really your friends, mm-hmm. but you have this illusion of community. Right. But you're really more atomized than ever. Yeah. Maybe the best way to approach that, I mean, is not necessarily throwing out technology, but figuring out the ways that we can use technology as a real means of those human interactions. Mm-hmm. Like using real technology for a real significant substantial human interaction mm-hmm. you know i mean i don't know how many people i've been able to meet and have conversations with through the magic of technology mm-hmm. you know and and those have been substantial human interactions that have actually had real uh, profound consequences in my own thinking and living and you right. know that is a, i guess a sanctified <laughs> use mm-hmm. of technology yeah well, you what know. you're talking about is you're making ethical judgments mm-hmm. based on the values of your worldview you are sitting in judgment upon technology right. and you are, yeah. you are creating a set of constraints for it. You're saying this is the proper use of it. This is what it's best used for. And you're keeping the, the cart behind the horses. That's, that's what needs to be done is there needs to be a, a set of guiding principles or else we will continue to go down the, the course of least resistance with no thinking, mm-hmm. no thought. I think that's the irony <laughs> that we're going to have to be enslaved to something. We mm-hmm. can choose our poison or we can choose our master. And that's either going to be <laughs> enslaved to something that provides those guiding principles or enslaved to, you know, technology or a, de- a depraved master. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a kind of choose you this day whom you will serve. <laughs> right. Yeah, You're going to have really to serve is. somebody. Mm-hmm. So, Neil Postman writes in Technopoly, we are a culture consuming itself with information. And many of us do not even wonder how to control the process. We proceed under the assumption that information is our friend, believing that cultures may suffer grievously from a lack of information, which, of course, they do. It is only now beginning to be understood that cultures may also suffer grievously from information glut, information without meaning, information without control mechanisms.